Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Galatians 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 14 in our time together this morning. I was thinking about discontent. Um, so I'm in my 50s, and sometime in your 50s, I think you're supposed to go through midlife crisis, aren't you? Isn't, I mean, isn't that what they say? Something like that. I think I've missed it, so I don't know if I'll ever catch up on it, but I shouldn't joke about it. You know what happens often, though, with midlife crisis. You know that it's not unusual for people, men in particular, to come to this point where family is no longer enough, the job is no longer enough, nothing is enough. And it's a pretty precarious, dangerous place to find yourself in, isn't it? And I would argue that it's possible for us to have a similar kind of experience spiritually, where we can have this almost kind of a midlife crisis, but it's not so much centered around the family or anything, it's centered around the gospel. And it it is possible for people to really get to this point where the gospel's not enough. And, And so some people who have professed faith in Christ... We'll, we'll move away from it, for instance. And, and, and they'll move into different religions and all, all kinds of things. And it's, it's, a, it's a really scary thing. Uh, others will still use the word Christian, but they'll add on other kinds of things to, to, to make life make sense. And one of the things that Paul is going to argue in this passage Although what they're facing in Galatians is a, Galatia is a little bit different than what we often experience, but the solution is still the same. And the solution is this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is all you need. And, and that's what he's going to argue in this passage. Now, we'll look at what they're struggling with, but in looking at what they struggle with, it will give perspective to what we struggle with. So what does he say in this passage? I would argue basically two things. The gospel is sufficient. It is all we need. And Paul's going to argue first that our personal experience shows that the gospel of Christ is all that we need. Look at what he says here in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. And and here's what's interesting. Um, You're going to notice as we work through this passage... He's going to give you subjective proof, your own experience. And he's going to give you objective truth, the unchanging truth of the Scriptures. Does that make sense? And and if we're going to find something that's true that we can really found our life on, it has to have both of those elements in it. But first of all, he argues... From the experience. Look look at what he says here in Galatians 3, verse 1. And James mentioned this in his prayer. He starts out by saying, You foolish Galatians. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? I mean, honestly, if I came in here today and I said, Hey folks, it's good to be with you, you bunch of fools. Yeah, it probably won't go over terribly well, would it? So so for Paul. To actually come and use that kind of terminology 
with brothers in Christ, because later in verse 15, he's going to say brothers and sisters, okay? But here, he is so concerned about the centrality of the gospel and that people are going to add to its sufficiency that all he can say is, if you move away from that for whatever reason, that is always the move of foolishness. So, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's put you under a spell? Um, I don't know if they use the expression much anymore, but sometimes when I was growing up, people would say, what's the matter with you? Are you high or something? You know, like, you know, like you're just not thinking correctly. And Paul's just saying, it is like somebody has put you in this hypnotic stage, step, stage, and like your eyes are glazed over, and you like are to- have totally lost it. And he says, so, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And he says this, I want you to go back, and I want you to look at your conversion experience. And as Paul goes back to their experience, do me a favor. Go back and look at your experience. Look at what God has done for you. Because isn't it easy for us to forget? I don't know about you. The, the wonder of conversion and, and, and everything that's tied into that. I, w- I was thinking about that with the baptisms that we've had recently. And just hearing those testimonies, and they're so rich but, but you know it's easy sometimes for us to kind of drift from that, isn't it? And so he tells the Galatians, let's go back. Because what's happening in Galatia is, remember we looked at this last week. You've got Jews who call themselves Christians coming to town saying, look, Jesus, that's good, good stuff. But Jesus is not enough. You've got to also become Jewish. Because if you're really going to experience God's blessings, it doesn't just come through Jesus, it also comes through Judaism. In your life, you can add whatever else you want, and it's always wrong. Okay? So what he does is he says, so Galatians, let's go back and look at your conversion. And we're we're going to notice several things. First of all, he's going to say, you embraced the reality and the depth of the, res- of, of the death of Christ. He says this, Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. You know what he says? When you guys heard the gospel, and as we sang today, you understood that there is nothing that you could do for your sin. Nothing. You could work as hard as you want. It would make no difference. And you came to this point in your life where you said, the cross is everything. It is at the cross that, that I fully understood that all of my sins are laid on Christ. And all of his righteousness is laid on me when I accept him. And that cross did it all. And it's mine. And Wow! Paul says, don't you remember that? The the cross wasn't just something that happened out there. The cross was something that you you didn't just see it in black and white. You saw it in Dobie color, man. I mean, you saw it for all of its richness. 
You saw it how it was Doug Finkbeiner's sins that put Christ on the cross. And he forgave them all. He says, Galatians, why would you add to that? The cross, you saw it, you felt it, you knew it. And now you want to add to it? Secondly, you were given the Spirit. Look at verse 2 and 3. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? So when Paul came into Galatia, Pisidian, Antioch, and Derby and Lystra and all those places, <coughs> when Paul came into town, did he say, okay, if you'll first receive, if you'll first become Jews, then all those new covenant promises about the Spirit coming into you and be, becoming coming into your life, then you'll then you'll finally have that. Is that what Paul ever said? Paul said, I never said a word about that to you. I came to town and I said, All those new covenant promises about the Spirit, you can have them now through Christ alone. And so, did you receive the Spirit by becoming Jewish? Nope. You received the Spirit by hearing the gospel and saying, Jesus, I'm undone. Please be mine. Do you see? Look at what he goes on to say in verse 3 then. Are you so foolish? I mean, he can't, you know, he says that twice in this passage. After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So you received the Spirit. He changed you, began to change you from the inside out. Do you now... And, 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 and the way you were saved is by grace, through faith, alone in Jesus Christ. You're giving, given the Spirit. He is now working in you transformation as you yield to Him. And He says, okay, if that's the way you came to faith in Christ, and that's the way you're supposed to live, do you now have to jump over here and complete the work of God? Do you have to do something else? Oh, yeah, um... Holy Spirit, thank you for all that. But I've got to come up with my own set of standards and approaches and all these kinds of things. And if I do this and have the Spirit and yield to Him, then I'll be able to... No. Your entire Christian life is one from the inside out. As the Spirit is at work and moving in your heart and you're yielding to Him and you're loving God and loving your neighbor because God is doing that work from the inside out. Do you see? And he says, why would you want to add something else to that? No, 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 no. You have felt the depth of the cross. You have experienced life in the Spirit. And in verse 4, you have experienced suffering for the cause of Christ. Look at what he says in verse 4. Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? And the idea there, have you experienced, is the idea of have you suffered so much in vain? And so what he says is this. He says, you came to faith in Christ 
You knew the spirit from within. You knew joy in your heart. You knew knew purpose for the first time in your life. And you also knew as you began to live that out that certain people did not like it. And people mocked you and ridiculed you and opposed you. But that was okay because you had the life of God within you. And that makes all the difference in the world. And so whatever you experience, it's painful, it's hard, but you have God. Do you see? And Paul says, was that all in vain? Did you know joy in the midst of suffering and pain? Was that like nothing? Paul says, no, look at your experience. You felt the depth of the cross. You receive the life-giving spirit from the inside out. You know what it means to walk faithfully with him and see him at work in your life. And number four, God authenticated that with with other evidence. Look at verse, uh, verse four. I'm sorry, verse five. So again, I ask you, does Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you have heard? You know what he says? The Jews knew the wonder-working miracles of Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ lived. The apostles did miracles and healings and a whole host of things amongst the Jews And many of them, not all of them, but a fair amount of them came to faith in Christ. A lot of them rejected. And the Gentiles saw the same kind of miracles. And and Paul was saying, did you have to become Jewish to experience what they experienced? No. God has given you everything he's given the Jews without you ever becoming a Jew. So don't Go back. Don't move in that direction. Paul says, Galatians, wake up. You know what that's like sometimes when you're drowsy? You know, it's just, it's, you, 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 you've kind of, you're kind of like halfway in a dream and half out at the same time. You know what I mean? And, and, and you're not sure what reality is and what isn't. And it's all kind of mixed up and really quite confusing, to be perfectly honest with you. And it's almost like they're in that kind of daze sensation. Do you see? And Paul's saying, wake up! And you wake up and you go like, oh, 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 that's not reality. A couple years ago, I don't know if I ever told you this. I probably shouldn't. But I was sleeping. And um, somehow, I was convinced there was a bear walking right outside of my house. And I was walking around the one side of the house and the bear came up to the other side of the house. And there I am, face-to-face with the bear. So what do you do when you come face-to-face with the bear? In my dream, I wasn't sure, but I figured growling was the best thing to do. So I growled at that bear. And I remember going, rah! And then all of a sudden, honey. (laughs) And I thought to myself, I think I just growled at 2 o'clock in the morning. With my wife sleeping beside me. You, know, remember, you remember that, Sherry? Yeah, Sherry remembers it. She's got a whole lot more she could probably share with you too, but hopefully she won't, okay? <coughs> you know what? It wasn't true. There was no bear outside. 
I was sleeping. And Paul is saying to the Galatians, there's, there's no need to add anything to Christ. Nothing. Nothing. You have him. That's all you need. Look at the experience you had. It was the same that they had, that Jews that heard and trusted in Christ. Without you ever becoming a Jew, you received all the same stuff. Don't. Don't add to the gospel. Now, what I love about Paul is Paul realizes, though, you can't make your proof merely from experience, can you? What if I tried to prove everything in my life by my own personal experience? Eh, It gets kind of iffy, doesn't it? I could come up with some pretty strange views, right? So, Experience can never stand alone as proof, but it does contribute. So what you have is you have this subjective experience that people have who come to faith in Christ, but it must be filled by something else, the objective reality and truth of the scriptures itself. Do you see? So you have subjective and objective meeting together saying Christ is all you need. So what Paul does in this second section, scriptural teaching shows the gospel of Christ is all we need. He actually, and I'm not going to read all these verses, but I want you to notice something. From verse 6 all the way down to verse 13, notice all of the quotations Paul has from the Old Testament. Do you see that? Do you see what he's doing? He's making an argument that all you need is the gospel of Christ is enough. And in doing that, he's combating certain Jews that are saying, you got to be Jewish too. So Paul says, okay, let's go back to the scripture, the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. And I'm going to show you one passage after another passage after another passage after another passage. That the gospel is all you need. Does that make sense? So it's really brilliant on Paul's part. Look at your experience. Okay, good, good, good. But look at the truth of the scriptures. And notice what they teach. So let's let's kind of talk our way through this. I don't have any more bear stories on this one. So uh, we'll see what else comes out of it. But anyway, here, here we go. So, so. Paul begins, and, and, um, and I don't know, I don't want to get too Greeky or whatever here, but so I'm not sure what translation you have, but some of the translations actually treat verse 6 as a separate sentence. It really isn't. Verse 6 is really subordinate to verse 7. And, and I would argue you should actually read it like this. Just as Abraham believed God... And it was credited to him for righteousness. Then understand that the ones of faith, these are the sons of Abraham. Now, I want you to think for a second. Suppose you're a Jew. A Jew that doesn't accept Christ or anything else. And I come up to you and I say... I'm going to prove to you that every Gentile that trusts in Jesus Christ is a son of Abraham. 
whoa, I mean, that's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, you, you see what I'm saying? I mean, people are like, what? Because I think they were probably saying the opposite. I think the Judaizers were probably coming into town, looking at these Gentiles and saying, hey, you guys in Galatia, yeah, yeah, Jesus is great. That's good. You have the spirit. Good stuff. Good stuff. It's not enough. Okay? It's not enough. Um, you, 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 you need a little bit more. And, and by the way, did you know that you need to become a son and daughter of Abraham? That's what you need. And Paul says, you're right. But if you have Jesus, you are. Now, he's going to prove that more in next week when we look at the end of chapter 3. He's going to unpack that in more detail for us, okay? And explain what that all means. But it's so interesting to me is it's almost like Paul is saying, oh, you want to pr- play the Abraham game? I'll play the Abraham game with you. And here's what you'll find. Those that are most connected to Abraham... Are, are not those whose ethnicity comes out of Abraham, but those whose faith is like Abraham's. So, he says, Genesis 15, 6, because Abraham's life was not a life of, I will work to find God's approval. No. He believed God and he was credited. God credited to his account righteous. In the same way, when we hear the gospel and we say, I believe it's Jesus credited righteous. Do you see that? And so those that are really sons and daughters of Abraham are those that believe like Abraham. Look at what he goes on to say here in verse 7, or verse 8. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, proclaimed the gospel in advance to Abraham. In you, all nations will be blessed. And if you look up here in in, in, in chapter 3, verse 8, he quotes two passages from the book of Genesis. But do you know what he's saying? Paul's saying, let's go back to the time of Abraham. And if you remember, the promises to Abraham was, what I'm going to do, Abraham, for you, will ultimately be the way that all nations can be blessed. And so Paul says, the gospel was already being preached to Abraham, and it was saying this, God wants to reach the nations. He was not telling Abraham, What I want you to do is have a bunch of Jews living in the land, just you guys, no more, that's it. You guys are in, everybody else is out. No! That wasn't the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose was God is going to bless the nations. And we know the only way that happens is because there is a seed that's going to come from Abraham, Jesus. And out of that seed, we become connected to God and his purposes. But Paul says, you want to talk about Abraham? Great, because the Abrahamic promises were all about blessing the nations. Does that make sense? It's good stuff, especially if you're struggling with this as, 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 as going back to Judaism. It goes on to say this, verse 9. So then, the ones who are of faith are blessed together with Abraham who believed. 
For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. Let me read this and then explain it because I have to tell you, verse 10 and 11 and 12 are tricky. It's a tricky passage. So let me try to read it and try to explain it to you, okay? For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things that are written in the book of the law to do them. As you can see here from the, from the, from the slide, this is from Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 26. Then he goes on to say this in verse 11. Now, now it is clear that no one is justified in the sight of God by the law because the one who is righteous will live by faith. Let me go back to verse 10 for just a second. Was the Old Testament law then bad? I mean, did God say, I'm going to give these promises to Abraham, and now with Moses I'm going to establish the law and the Jewish nation and all those kinds of things? This is really going to be bad. Is that what the Bible? No, the Bible doesn't teach us that at all. It was really good. Because in the law, you had all kinds of pictures of God's holiness and his mercy and all kinds of wonderful pictures. You also had a, a whole bunch of promises in pictures and directly of what God was going to do one day in the future. Do you see that? And you also have a series of laws, some of which that we know as the Ten Commandments, which God gives us and he says, look, this is the way ultimately I want people to live. So, so Paul says, no, the law's not bad, but here's the problem. You know, I, I, I keep forgetting left to right is the best way to move, but my left to right is your right to left, so I just need to reverse what I just did. So the law's here. <laughs> Jesus is here. Sorry about that. I reversed it on you. Okay. So what he said, here, here's the point with the law. The law was given, and it's wonderful, but one of the purposes of the law, one of them, there's a variety of purposes, one of the purposes of the law was that in light of salvation history and what God was going to do ultimately in Jesus Christ, one of the reasons for the law is for you and I to realize we can't do this on our own. Wow! God, you're unapproachable. I mean, I'm going to have to do sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And you keep telling me, Messiah is coming. You're going to do something in the future. Okay, I'm doing this because I can't. I can't. It's overwhelming. And you're going to do something in the future. And then Christ comes. (laughs) And it all pointed to him. Do you see? So Paul says, If you come back to this and say, oh, but we're going to start doing. When all of that is fulfilled in Jesus, you can't go back to the sacrifices because they've all been fulfilled in Jesus. So if you instead are saying, but we're going to go back into this system, a system which was pointing to him and he's here, all you have left is a law system that you could never keep. Cursed is everyone because now Finkbeiner's got to crank it out on his own and he can't. You were never meant to crank it out on your own. You were being reminded that you need God, you need God, you need God and God is doing something, God is doing something, God is doing something. Do you see? 
And to go back here is to say, yeah, I can do this. It's really interesting. When you read through Deuteronomy, and you come to Deuteronomy chapter 30, it's a fascinating passage. Think about this, folks. Think about this. This, is, this is, kind of blows my mind sometimes. <coughs> the people are just about ready to go into the land with Joshua, right? Moses is stepping off the scene. And he, he gives blessings and cursings and so on and so forth. And then in chapter 30, he says this, Oh, by the way, you're all going to fail. You're going to go into the land. It's not going to go well. And you're all going into exile. Until God changes your hearts from the inside out. Do you see that? They haven't even gone into the land yet. And God's already saying, failure. Why? Because one of the purposes of the law was to remind us that we can't. So why in the age of I can't, he did, he can, would I want to go back to a system like that? If you do, cursed is everyone who doesn't do all the things that are listed here. Because that's all you have left, folks. goes on to say this, verse 11. Now, it is clear that no one is justified in the sight of God by the law. Because the one who is righteous will live by faith. Now, that's taken from Habakkuk 2.4. But the law is not from faith. But the one who does these things will live by them. And that's taken from Leviticus 18.5. But it's the same thing I've been saying. Now, he's not saying that there wasn't anybody of faith that lived under the, the Old Testament law era. Of course there were. There's all kinds of. Habakkuk would be one. What he's saying is this. When you look at the law in light of what God is doing in history with everything being fulfilled in Jesus, when you look at it in that light, and then you try to step back here, you have a system that is not a faith. Because faith always is looking forward to what God will do in Jesus. Does that make sense? And he says, when you read Habakkuk 2, just like Genesis 15, it's all about the true person who is righteous is the person who lives by faith. People in the Old Testament and the New Testament were always saved the same way. By grace, through faith, in the revealed word. Always, 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 always. It's just that The revelation of the word grew and culminated in Jesus. And so Paul is saying, if you step back in time historically, there's nothing left in this system but works. Don't do it. Don't add. Do do, do you see his point? Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us, because it is written, and here he's quoting from Deuteronomy 21, 23, because it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. 
in order that the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. He says, look, under the law era, there's this constant sense of, I can't, and so I keep doing the sacrifices, and I keep waiting, and I keep waiting. God, what am I going to do? I, what, ah. Christ comes. And he dies on a cross so that all the curse and all of the stuff and the wrath of God that we should experience is now taken on his beloved son. Did anybody walk by, by Golgotha that day and look at the cross and say, oh, look, two crummy criminals and the son of God honoring the father. Do you think anybody thought that? What did they think when they walked through the, there that day? They looked up and they said, three bums getting everything they deserve. Because anybody that's put on a cross, must be forsaken by God. We know that. And so for people that couldn't, that couldn't, that couldn't, that said, God, please do a work, we'll wait, Jesus comes. And he becomes the curse. He takes on all Doug Finkbeiner's filth and sin and vileness and er hell and everything that I deserve. He takes that on himself. He became sin for me that I might receive his righteousness. Isn't that amazing? It, it, it's the great divine transfer. Does it make any sense? He lived the life I could never live. He died a death I deserved to die. And in the whole process, he gave me his righteousness. Can you believe that? And he did all of this so all of the blessings of Abraham where God says, I want to I bless the nations. You go to the book of Revelation. You know who's around the, the throne praising God? It's people from every nation. The Abrahamic covenant is finally fulfilled. And around the throne, people from every nation are just praising the Father and the Son for what they've done. In order that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles in Christ so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through the new covenant. And we, we receive that one way, folks. We bow our knee and we say, I want Jesus. It's all about you, Lord. It's all about you. That's it. That's, it. That's the Christian life. And, and so, Paul says to the Galatians, look, look, hold on to the sufficiency of the gospel. <coughs> Both by looking at your personal experience of the gospel and the scriptural validity of the gospel. There are times in my own, my own experience I don't feel every way I'm supposed to feel. I get it. You know what I do in those moments? I put all my weight right here. It's what the Bible teaches. It's what God has done. And there's other times when I say, yeah, and I, I remember when I came to faith in Christ, I had some desires, new desires. I never had before. Like, wow, like, 
thanks, God. Do, do, do you see? And when you look at that, and when you look at the, what the Scripture says, and it's all about Christ, He's totally sufficient. He's giving you the Spirit. He wants to transform you from the inside out as you yield to Him. That's what I want. He says, that's all you need. Yeah, but, but if you're going to really, you've got to have my list, which isn't in Scripture, of certain things that you've got to do. No, 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 no. You got, no, 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 no. All you need is Christ. Folks, nobody in here is wrestling with going back to Judaism. I don't think. Maybe. If, if, if you are, this passage is directly for you. But all of us can have midlife crisis experiences, can't we? Where we think like, yeah, I don't know. I think I need a, an add-on. I need another app or something. And this text says, no, you don't. Look at what God has done for you personally. Look at the story of Scripture. Allow both of those to coalesce together so that you cry out in your hearts in praise to him and say, he is all I need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for powerful passage on the beauty of your plan, the, the wonder of the cross, the joy that comes because we are people who have received the Spirit. It, 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 was, it was all part of your plan, and we have tasted as believers, and we know that Christ is sufficient. Lord, protect us. For anyone here today that is thinking that finding approval with you is about how much I can do and performing, Lord, may they see that is nothing but a life that leads to cursing. What they need is Christ. In Christ alone, who will give of his spirit and change us from the inside out. Father, for my brothers and sisters, Lord, forgive us for times when we become nonchalant, lackadaisical. The cross becomes something we yawn at rather than something we wonder at. We wonder if maybe we need some add ons. Remind us afresh, Lord, we only need Christ. In his name I pray, amen.